Hello, everyone. Welcome to Raising Joyful and Resilient Black Children podcast, where we bridge conversations from parenting to child well-being and social justice and provide resources and tools for parents connected to research that matters to us and to our community. I'm Dr. Sharita Butler-Barnes, and let's get started today. So on today's show, I'm very excited to have our guest today. We're going to be exploring vulnerability and Black motherhood. We're joined by other members of our Parenting Joyous Circle, aka Queen Mamas. We're joined by Dr. Kia Tisdale, Antoinette Rivet, and Charm Dirt. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you all here. So before we get started, I want you all to just tell a little bit about yourselves and what does Parenting Joy Circle mean to you? I'll go ahead and start with you, Char. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited for what I knew will be an invigorating discussion. For me, I am a mother. I am a wife. I am an author of a children's book, My Happiness Counts. I am also an entrepreneur and a diversity, equity, and inclusion strategist and educator. And so for me, what the circle means for me is just creating a sense of community and an opportunity to connect with people who are like-minded and people who can firsthand share the experiences that I have in motherhood and career and just, you know, finding that harmony and navigating life. Very good. Thank you for that. Antoinette? All right. So I'm Antoinette Rivette. I am a stay-at-home mom of two children. I have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. I was working in finances when I decided during my second pregnancy that I wanted to stay home and be the mom that was hands-on at all times. I never thought that I would be that mom. I was always career-oriented, being in the military, starting my career very early after graduating high school. And I never thought that I would be that mom, but I had my children. I felt the need to be with them 100%. And during that time, I discovered turning my hobby into a business, which is handmade personal and body care. I gear that towards teens and tween girls. So that is now my new venture, as well as just guiding our youth back to something more pure and just teaching them about taking care of their personal selves, their self-care mentally and physically as well. Great. Thank you for sharing. Dr. Kia? Good evening. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of the Parent Joy Circle. And when Dr. Jackie first sent out the emails, I just jumped at the opportunity because one of the phrases that stuck out most to me in the introduction for the invite was raising resilient children. And, you know, our children are faced with so many barriers and obstacles and insults to who they are just for being who they are. I sought in the Parent Joy Circle the opportunity for a refresh as a parent, the opportunity to be reminded to center joy in parenting, and also to get more tips on how to keep joy in parenting because I work full-time. I'm a physician, an internist. So working full-time, a mother of three, ages five, 13, and 16, it is easy to be distracted by all of the things that are distressing 
And so to have this circle, this community that is meant to recenter and remind us of the joy of parenting, I just thought, what better opportunity than for me to participate in? So I'm so glad to be here. So thank you. Thank you. So thank you all for the wonderful introduction. So we are now going to be talking about vulnerability and Black motherhood. So how do you all define vulnerability and why do you think it's important for Black women to embrace vulnerability in their lives? For me, vulnerability in parenting is being able to say I'm sorry very, very quickly when I'm wrong. And I actually had the opportunity to apologize to my 13-year-old just yesterday because I was certain that I had put something where I was certain I had put it. And kids are always rushing to do something, you know, rushing to get stuff done, rushing, rushing, rushing. And it had occurred to me that I was like, "Mm, where is my item? And my item was not where I knew I had left it. And I was in full on accusation mode. And, you know, in her very 13 year old way, she was like, I didn't see it. I didn't do it. I didn't see it. And I was, like I said, in full accusation mode. I had everybody tearing up the house, my husband tearing up the vacuum cleaner. And I was like, I know where I left, where I left. And I ended up finding it in another place. And so I said, Lauren, I am so sorry. I'm very sorry. I'm asking you for your forgiveness. And she was like, Mom, I don't know. You were very mean to me. And I said, yes, I was. I was very upset. And while I was asking for her forgiveness, I also reminded her that it's still important not to rush through your responsibility. So because you have develop the habit of rushing through your responsibility, it made it easy for me to just to run with that and to, you know, make the assumption that, you know, it's very plausible that you're the reason why I can't find this. But now that I realize I am wrong, you know, I am sorry. And I understand if you need to take some time to decide if you want to forgive me or not. So vulnerability is not just double downing when you're wrong and being sincere. Because I think generations before, children, whether the parent realized they were wrong or not, the child would never know that the parent had made a mistake, you know, because kids were intended to be, what is it, what's seen and not heard. So even if a parent was wrong, that child would never know that the parent had made a mistake. You know, parents were always right. Don't want to hear what you have to say. You just do what I say do. And I have always, you know, taught our children, if you feel convicted, you speak up for yourself. You say what you have to say. You have an opinion. You express your opinion. Do it as respectful as you can. But you have a voice and we want to hear it. And so when I'm wrong and I realize I'm wrong, I have to own that. The other thing that came to mind when I was thinking about vulnerability is where did that whole trope of the strong Black woman even come from? Just like the achievement gap. You know, you hear about things being by design and it's like this whole strong black woman is also by design. And it's like you hear something long enough, you just buy into it. 
And I think as mm -hmm. women, we have to recognize, is this, again, one of those things that's by design? And who is it hurting more than anybody? It's hurting us. If we feel like it's our duty and obligation to be these walls of concrete when it comes to our emotions and what ails us and what hurts us. Yeah, thank you for that. The strong black woman, which is such a stereotype, but it's so real and it happens. Charm, you wanted to say something. Yeah, you know, I'm going to just, you know, echo what Dr. Kia said, actually. You know, when I think about vulnerability, I think about emotional exposure. For me, my approach to vulnerability really models how my mother's approach was. And, you know, she was very clear with us about mental health, about showing up as yourself, about not being afraid to fail, and about the importance of recovery. And so I've applied that to motherhood for myself and, you know, my friends and anyone who encounters my children are like, okay, if, if, if we need someone to call us out on behavior, right, then it's your kids to do it. But that's the way in which I've modeled for them, right? That it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be yourself. It's okay to fail forward. And again, to recover. And also just to speak on, you know, just the trope about, you know, being a strong Black woman. You know, if we think about any other traditionally marginalized or traditionally underrepresented or underestimated, if you will, group, we are the only group that has the social trope of being strong, right? And it's really, you know, this is to build on bail hooks, teachings about, you know, that is a social structure that was put in place, which is really the antithesis of the power structure that was allowed for Black women, right? It's to give us this false mm -hmm. sense of strength when in fact, if we're looking in power systems in any, you know, spaces, we really don't have those power systems. And so again, just operating with all that in mind, I just try to be very cognizant and just present with my children, like with my husband and saying, hey, I am living the soft life, if you will, right? <laughs> I'm welcoming the rest. I'm being vulnerable <laughs> and, you know, all of it, right? All because of it. that's, of freedom that should have been initially afforded to me. And it never was for Black women. That's right. Antoinette, what are you thinking about how to, your definition of vulnerability? I'll start off with, I was raised by my grandparents. So being raised by a grandparent, they were both from the South. And they were both part of being raised on a farm. And pretty much they came about to help with being on a farm. You know, they worked on the farm. They took care of their siblings. So they lived hard lives. And so the definition of vulnerability to me was always something so negative. You can't be vulnerable. Vulnerable means that you're helpless. You can't do for yourself or you're not going to be able to make it in this life. You always had to be hard in every sense, physically, mentally, emotionally, your environment, everything always had to be hard. Thankfully, my grandparents raised me in a way where I was able to somewhat speak my truth within our household under certain circumstances. I know that now as an adult, when I was a child, I would look at certain things like, you know, you don't let me say my piece. I don't have a voice. I'm not allowed to say certain things because we were raised under the children are seen and not heard type of thing. I did have some leniency in my household, but then when other people would come in, it was like, okay, what we said in our house, don't let that, you know, seep out. 
when a lot of times the outside is the reason why I'm feeling this way. You know, I have my emotions intact here because you all understand me. But then when someone else comes in and I feel like now my voice gets taken away, I can't say that. So that takes away my vulnerability. That takes away my ability to express myself now. I've always been the sensitive one. <laughs> my grandmother used to say, you wear your feelings on your coat sleeve. And it always that seems negative, you know, where in fact, I am a woman, I am entitled to have emotions. I am human, period. And I am entitled to have emotions. And so with that, I do try to teach my children that if you do feel backed into a corner, or frustrated, or tired, or whatever you're feeling, you're allowed to say that, and you're allowed to take a break, and you're allowed to reset. That is very important, because we are taught that even when we do feel these things, at our most vulnerable time, we're supposed to keep going. But how am I supposed to keep going if I have nothing to give, right? For me, that's been the most important thing. And I say I've always allowed, especially my daughter, that she's the oldest, I've allowed her to teach me that. There's times I get super frustrated because, again, I thought that I was going to be working. I didn't even think I would ever get married, have kids, any of that. So you can imagine sometimes being a stay-at-home mom and wife gets frustrated. Because I'm trying to understand them. I'm trying to understand myself and make myself, I'm trying to understand where I've now placed myself. So sometimes I will lash out and I do have to take a step back and go, wait a minute. Listen, this is what mommy truly meant. And she said that in anger or she acted that way because her anxiety is through the roof. And she also has other deadlines that she's trying to get through. And I allow them to speak their piece as well and how they feel. And what we all need to do to come back and reset as a family and get back to our main goal. And that's whatever it is for the day or for the week or whatever we plan to do. So I feel like now we're trying to turn that negative meaning of being vulnerable into something positive and something that hopefully we can create a more solid foundation for our family down the line. Okay. So thank you for sharing that. So you said a couple of things. You charm and Dr. Kia. So this idea of resetting, rest, and recovering. So that's a lot in terms of when you think of vulnerability. So it seems like there is some tension in our community with being vulnerable because there's this negative connotation with it, but we know that it's needed. And so when we think about how society has traditionally discouraged Black women from being vulnerable, where do you all think that comes from and how can we change that narrative? So there's a history to it, but like, why is there a tension? You don't want to be too vulnerable. We can't be that way. People embrace the strong Black woman syndrome, but if we look at Black women with heart disease, certain type of chronic diseases, we up there, right? And so how do you all sort of navigate between the two? And most importantly, why do you think society discourages Black women from being vulnerable? Why are we superheroes? Starting with the Black community, actually. So before I even talk about society, I'll talk about Black community. When we even think about the narrative of our children being seen and not heard, like that stems from slavery, right? And that is a safety mechanism. And so, you know, I think to build on that, when we think about vulnerability, again, that's a safety mechanism. To Antoinette's point, when you think about vulnerability, that's weakness. If you show weakness, then you can be attacked right? And then you don't have that sense of safety. And then if we think about the ways in which society has, you know, systemically removed the father from the home, 
right? And then, you know, potentially, and I'm putting in air quotes, empowered Black women to be the champions of their household and to allow Black women to easily navigate workspaces. So there are so many different ways in which, you know, systems have been perpetuated. To substantiate that narrative, we really just have to see how this has been used as a safety mechanism for us, like barring us against vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And that history, though, is so important, that piece. And when we don't tell it, people have this assumption that Black women are superheroes, whether it's at the job, whether it's in a family. Right. It is killing us. Like this idea that we just right. can't be. Right. How can we even work to change the narrative? I think one thing we're doing is having this conversation with all of us. But then how do we actively, intentionally change this narrative? I think that's the key right there. You said actively be intentional about not, I don't want to say be intentional about being weak, but be intentional about showing your vulnerability or your weaknesses, your soft spots. So Charmder mentioned soft living, and there's an article in Essence about the soft life, <laughs> our current essence. And it is was so uh -huh. interesting. I have always despised the strong Black woman description. And I must just kind of give off my disdain for the strong Black woman <laughs> expression because I have a girlfriend who was hesitant to give me this magnet because it read, strong women, may we know them, may we be them, may we raise them. And she was hesitant to give it to me. So when she gave it to me, I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. I love this quote. And she was like, oh my God, I don't know if I should give it to you because it says strong woman. But when I read it, it didn't say strong black woman. It just said strong women. May we know them. May we be them. May we raise them. And I loved it so much. I happened to be in this boutique and saw this necklace and it had that same quote. And I bought three of them on the spot and have given them to friends who are mothers of daughters because it, as my daughter says, it hit different because it was not the whole strong Black women. It just was strong women and knowing them, appreciating them and raising them, you know, whereas that whole strong Black woman, it just is so tired, so oppressive you know, I will say, oh, my gosh, you're using the oppressor's language. I say that a lot, like, oh, they're using the oppressor's language, you know, because when someone uses certain jargon or trigger words, it kind of makes you toe the line, play a role. So how we can support each other and kind of fighting that is when you have a girlfriend or anyone and you kind of see that they're kind of falling into that, just say, sis, hey, you know, that's all right. You don't have to X, Y, Z. That's okay. And I'm an only child. And, you know, my mom will often say, Kia, Kia, you're being so mean. Kia, you're being selfish. And I'm like, I disagree. I'm just not doing what you want me to do. And maybe it's that soft living because I'm doing what I need to do. I'm sitting down and I'm resting. So yeah, I got these three kids that are off right. the charts, right. causing all kind of calamity <laughs> in this house, but I'm sitting down right now. 
You know what I mean? They'll eat. They'll get whatever they need. They got a daddy who's just as capable. I'm resting. You know what I mean? So we have to just be intentional and really just kind of fight against what people, old school thinking or whatever, might put upon us. And I feel like to add to that, you know, I love that you bring up the point of rest, right? Like, again, rest, like this theme of weakness, rest is not weakness. You have Mm -hmm. to rest. That's a basic need, just like air, just like water. And to be able to, you know, be anti-hustle culture and afford ourselves that rest. And then also, you know, for me, in particular, I have two young sons, ages three and five. And I'm showing by example to them of like, this is what rest looks like. You know, in my household, my husband cooks dinner pretty much every night. And, you know, his friends and colleagues are like, well, he's a physician. And how is he cooking dinner? I'm like, you know, he gets a skillet and he gets the ingredients, right? And he turns on the stove. Turns on the stove. He does what he needs to do. In the morning, I'm getting the little ones together. I'm getting them dressed, washed up, getting them off to school. And so, you know, we're navigating our relationship in a way in which we're showing them what balance is and what rest is. And to your point, you know, Dr. Kia, in just managing our dimensions of diversity, it's not just like the strong Black woman narrative. Like, it's like, I'm a strong woman. I'm showing up for my family. I'm showing up for my community. Mm -hmm. I'm showing up for my workplace. And I'm doing amazing in all of these spaces. So I think that's That's a way in which we can combat that and just modeling the behaviors and the lifestyle. And then also spreading that message to people in our social circles to say, we can create the realities that we want. This is our life. This is your life. This is your Mm -hmm. mind. You can unlearn information. Like I always say, you know, like in my diversity, equity, and inclusion trainings is that no one has a 20-year-old cell phone, right? But you will hang on to a belief that you have for 20 years. So it's like, you know how to get rid of outdated information and outdated things when they no longer work. You just need to apply that to your belief systems. We can do so much more if we just learn how Mm. to grow change. And it's so funny you brought that up because I just remember, because I have two daughters, 16-year-old and 11-year-old. That's a lot, sure, with everyone. But I just remember being on a grind culture that was ridiculous in graduate school and then having daughters and knowing that I did not want them to be like me in that way. Like, I was like, I'm going to be intentional and modeling what rest looks like, what it looks like to take care of yourself, what it looks like not to put other folks before you. Like that is something that I have to actively do because of being the oldest in the role. But you bring up something very important. It's the idea of modeling. And this is like the learning curve for me as well, too. I definitely agree with Dr. Kia because I've always been a rebel and I absolutely did the whole strong Black woman thing. For me, it took the humanity out of us. It made me feel like you're acting like we're cattle or something. Like, we're mm-hmm. supposed to get whipped, feet, mm-hmm. told to go mm-hmm. cook dinner, clean up toys, run baths, clean children, pick them up, breastfeed, this, that, and the third, and then, voila, we wake up in two hours and we're back to normal. Like, no. 
<laughs> I absolutely despise that. And I feel like when we add the vulnerability aspect to it, it brings us back to being human. We all have to rest. We all do. If you don't, you do not give your mm-hmm. best self. Mm-hmm. Your brain doesn't even function correctly without rest. You can't. Right? You have to yeah. nourish yourself in whatever way that is. For some people, it can be reading books. For some people, it can be working out. Whatever it is, I feel like we have to learn as a culture within ourselves to also respect what it is that other people feel the need to do for themselves. What works in their household works for them. And if their family is okay with that, there's absolutely no reason why you should not be. Okay? I'm a stay-at-home mom. I hear all the time that I'm not the normal stay-at-home mom. I do not cook dinner every night, nor am I going to. (laughs) I have a husband. There are things that he does as well. I do not believe in being that Susie homemaker type of thing where I am pretty much handicapping my family. You know, I teach my daughter. She's seven. She's at the age where... She's in between that I'm leaving the baby stage, I'm going into the tween teenage stage. And my daughter, anybody that's ever met her, she's very vocal and very capable of doing things for herself. And I teach her how to do those things for herself and how to go beyond her limits and learning how to be self-sufficient because one day she will be her own woman when she goes to college, whenever. And I want her to be strong, air quotes, in the fact that I want her to know that she doesn't have to wait for someone to give her standards to lean on or give her some type of guidelines that she has to abide by, that she is fully capable of saying, okay, I can go out and I can do this because I want to do this certain thing. And I mm-hmm. want to take a rest because I'm ready to rest or I'm ready to push myself because I know I can go further. So those things are, to me, adding the humanity to the strong black woman or the strong woman aspect, which I just, even with the single mom feeling the need to be the dad, that's another thing of the strong black woman where, okay, I've been put in a situation that I wasn't expecting, but now I have to bear it all and pretend that everything is okay, including in my household and teach my children that I'm so strong that nothing has hurt me. And it's okay to be strong, but as well as show that things have hurt. You know, you don't have to dwell on it. And I get that's where a lot of our parents and our ancestors came with that. If you allow things to burden you, that's when you break. When sometimes we all deserve a little break right? We all deserve to hit a little bit of that rock bottom so we can click back and say, hold up, I remember who I am. Let me get back to this. You know, so it's all very important Mm -hmm. and it's just how that message is relayed and how we continue on with it. And I think this is number one, how we're doing it and just teaching our young ones, our boys and our girls that it's okay to say, I'm broken right now and I need to reset my mind and get back to what I know I'm capable of doing, and that's what makes me strong. Not keep taking it on. That's not what's going to make you strong, but what's making you strong is that you're knowing your boundaries and you're setting them, not just for the outsiders, but for yourself as well. And so, Antoinette, you said something 
that sort of led to my next question, this idea of communicating vulnerability to our sons or to our daughters. And so as a researcher, I know that when it comes to conversations about race or racism, parents communicate differently to Black boys and girls. They do. So when I think about vulnerability, you all have sons and daughters. Does the message change around your vulnerability, the way that you're communicating it? Like we talk about strong women for girls, and then we talk about showing Black boys something different. Is it the same sort of modeling you do for your son or daughter or for boys and girls? You For me, I don't change it because I look at it as one day she's maybe someone's wife. She has male friends. She has a brother that she looks after. Her brother has a sister that he looks up to and that he's going to look after. At some point, even though they're four years apart, at some point, they're going to be each other's providers, protectors, confidants. So I'm more so raising them to understand what everyone has going on in their life and not just you as a woman. So the messaging is the same. Exactly. The messaging is the same for me. And I feel like that's a huge disconnect in our society already is that we try to teach girls to be one way and teach boys to be another way. Especially in the Black community, boys definitely have to be, you know, a different way. But in this society now, everything is together. And we all as a human, I think we're starting to kind of disconnect that humans in a all need to be a little bit more vulnerable and respectful to each other's boundaries and emotions and what we're all going through. When it comes to the ugliness of racism, we're seeing that there is no cut card when it comes to gender, you know? Mm -hmm. We certainly have seen, you know, Black women brutalized just as much as Black men. That's right. So, you know, when it comes to having the conversation about racism, with our sons and daughters, and I have two boys, five and 16, and then Lauren, like I said, is 13, those conversations mirror each other. Mm-hmm. And I was even thinking, Kia, around like vulnerability as well, too, with those messages different. But it sounds like what you are saying is that it just doesn't. Like you're modeling your best self in terms of how to be vulnerable, whether it's boys or girls. And so... We talked a lot about the history component of it, where this stuff comes from, this idea of this strong Black woman. I think we all collectively can agree that we hate it, and I think others hate it as well, too. But how can the Black community better support Black women who choose to be vulnerable and share their struggles? Now we're talking about macro level, like what can other people do? Listen, you know, not mock someone who expresses, you know, she's having a rough time, a rough day, wants to cry, or however she chooses to express her vulnerability. I had this thought a little while ago, vulnerability is just expressing something that's contrary because you're, like Charmder said, emotional exposure. So even if you're just going against what everyone else in the room is feeling, that's that's being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So like if you Mm -hmm. are in a workplace meeting and you just kind of don't agree with what the majority of the room agrees with, that's emotional exposure, vulnerability. And it's not necessarily needing rest or needing some other emotional support. It's just being what somebody might say is contrary. 
And so supporting differences of opinion, that's how we can support each other. So when someone, like I say, agree to disagree, so, and not downing one another, and I think that's a way to support. I mean, I didn't think about that context, but you're right on. Just the emotional expression of even standing up saying that you disagree with something mm-hmm. can be a lot for some folks. Mm-hmm. But that is also one aspect of many aspects of vulnerability. For me, I think it would be prioritizing and respecting mental and emotional health. When we think about vulnerability mm-hmm. and when we think about yes. showing our emotions yes. and other communities outside of the Black community are lauded for going to therapy, right, and navigating their emotions and processing that. If in the Black community, we're seeing more progressive views of mental health, but really just at a wider scale, like just prioritizing how we communicate about that, how we communicate about how we're feeling, and then providing more opportunities for us to be in community with each other. I think that's a challenge that, that's that we're facing. I mean, and there's research that backs that from what I've seen. That's right. And that's a long history of that in terms of mental health being misunderstood and just how many people were just sort of in a closet about for years and not even wanting to sort of get that assistance or be vulnerable. I totally agree. I think it really just starts with just respecting one another and respecting that we all have our challenges. And we all have something that we can mm-hmm. learn from one another and to just listen and be there for one another as a community, whatever it is. We all have similar lives, but we all live different lives at the same time. And just being there for one another and understanding and not necessarily agreeing, but just being that shoulder and just being there and trying to understand where a person is coming from. I think that's the biggest thing here. And that's what allows a person to be vulnerable because. Like Dr. Kia said, you could be in a meeting and you just have a different idea and you're being vulnerable by expressing Mm -hmm. that because the whole group can turn on you, you know, that's showing your vulnerability. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, you're able to have that space to say your piece. They may not use your idea. They may still go on (laughs) that way, but Mm -hmm. you said your piece and that alone allows you to release. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thank you all. So this was very, very good today. And I just want to ask one more question. I was like, oh, should I ask it or not? But I want to. If you were in front of a young Black mother right now, just give her one tip on vulnerability. What would you all say to her? Embrace it. Embrace it. Okay, Antoinette? I would say embrace it and rest. (laughs) Rest is so important. Embrace it and rest. Love that baby. Love that baby. When you get upset, hold that baby. Cry with that baby. That's right. That's right. (laughs) For me, I'm going to go in line with my children's book. I'm going to say that your happiness counts. I think Mm. oftentimes we're socialized Mm. to focus on the happiness of others. And we make life decisions based on how others will perceive it. And so when I think about vulnerability, when I think about mental health, when I think about all of those things, I think about happiness. So I would, yeah, my advice would be that your happiness counts. So thank you all for a wonderful conversation today. I want to thank you all for being wonderful guests. And so Raising Joyful and Resilient Black Children is part of the Alive Podcast Network. The podcast was created and produced by Jacqueline Duget, edited by Manny Simon of Vita Productions. Follow, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Go to whatisblack.co for parenting resources and tools. 
While you're there, you can also sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at What Is Black. That is W-H-A-T-I-S-B-L-K. I am Doc Barnes, and thank you all for listening.